All right, today we're continuing with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Just to remind us where we are, we did not finish element seven, which we will go back to. We decided to, uh, to wait to finish element seven, uh, which is the five initial steps that you see repeated over and over again in the book of Acts when people start their Christian walk. Uh, in America today, most people have taken two of those five steps. Some have taken three. Probably very few have taken steps four. And step five, people take more or less, and uh, often too much less. <laughs> so uh, element eight, we are calling maturing in Jesus Christ by growing in grace. And uh, some of you will recognize that this, re this uh, repeats some of the Grace Plus Grace series, or Grace Upon Grace series, which uh, for the Cedarville people happens to mean that we overlap some topics, uh, so they're getting a double dose of grace every week, and, uh, or at least hearing me talk about grace every week. Hopefully they're getting more than a double dose of grace every week. <laughs> um, so uh, today we're going to move on to element 8C, small point one, introduction to the word of his grace. And I don't know how many weeks I'm going to stay on the word of his grace because, we, you know, um, for instance, those of you who go to the Tuesday night Bible study, we talked about restoring the whole Bible as the word of God for the entire school year last year and approached it from approximately 35 or 36 different points of view as to why we need, we, you know, we're having kind of a crisis of biblical studies in, in Protestant Christianity today, which was historically known for its knowledge of Scripture. And if you look at even um, the requirements of a bachelor's degree in biblical studies at most Christian universities today, they're only what you probably should have as a beginning Christian in your first couple of years of being a Christian. And uh, so there's kind of a crisis in the land of uh, uh, hunger for God's word and so forth. And so uh, we uh, do emphasize that a lot here at Grace Christian Fellowship. We talk a lot about having a culture of biblical studies and of ongoing catechism and, uh, you know, continuing to educate yourself in the things of God and in the faith as a way of life. So... Um, this is the 117th lesson in the Eight Essential Elements, so they're going to be a little bit out of order. We're going to be, you know, on 135 or so or whatever when we, when we go back to finish Element 7 later this school year. But we will finish element, this whole series this, by the end of the school year, I promise. And we will uh, start on two other series that I've been working on for years, one on the Kingdom of God and one on... Uh, the culture and what it means to be members of Grace Christian Fellowship. So, uh, listed in Roman numeral one is your eight essential elements that we've covered. Uh, you'll notice that in some light gray print, there's some things like, uh, if I, just reminding us that when we did Jesus Christ the Mediator, we, that's the subject called Christology. We did 30 weeks on that. Receiving Jesus is an uh, an area of theology called soteriology, or the doctrines of salvation. And we did 24 weeks on that, 24 messages on that, and so forth. So um, 
just recently, we've been on this element eight, maturing in Jesus Christ by growing in grace. And we did a couple messages uh, on grace and perspective because grace is defined mostly in our culture as unmerited favor, which is a partial definition and true, but it's not enough. Grace is divine empowerment. Grace transforms you to be Christ-like. Grace transforms you to do God's will. Grace sets you free from the damages that all of us walk into the Lord with that have been caused by the fall of man. Some damages caused by our own sins, some caused by sins of others upon us, or at least our reaction to those sins. And so um, we emphasized in this particular series um, that grace is a divine empowerment or enablement, equipping Grace is, is being transformed to do his will. There's a number of scriptures listed there if you want to restudy that, or you can go back to those messages and get those scriptures more spelled out. Uh, I want to remind us that, that, there are, that we normally teach that there are eight other definitions of grace in the Bible, and those are available in the Grace Christian Fellowship, Grace Upon Grace series, or the Cedarville version of that. We didn't cover them here. The, we did cover that grace is relational, and grace is dynamic, and that ties in very much to what we're going to talk about today because as we talk about the Word of God and it's the reason we need to study it, meditate on it, think about it, enjoy it, love it, uh, push out other things that would crowd that out of our lives and so forth, as we talk about that, the thing I want to emphasize today is that the Word of God is living and it's active and it's powerful and it has, an, it has effect. So if you're looking at various things in your life and saying, why am I not entering into emotional stability? Or why am I not entering into this particular provision of what Jesus calls the abundant life in John 10.10? 10? Why am I allowing the thief to rob, kill, and destroy? In, in, um, maybe financially, maybe in terms of our disciplines, whatever. A good place to look at and a good place to start is what do we know about it scripturally? Um, I, I know there has to be a transition between understanding the Word of God intellectually or cognitively. I would, I would recommend memorizing lots of scriptures in any area that you feel is a concern. But then God has to activate those by His Spirit to you. I get that. And, but the Word of God itself is active, and the Word of God will be how God activates the, the things of God into your life. And so, uh, if you're struggling with doubt, well then, study uh, the, the reasons why the Word of God is true, which is a branch of apologetics. For instance, you might read F.F. F. Bruce's book, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? And you might understand, if you understand a little bit about how the Bible came to us, your faith in what the Bible is will grow. So grace is relational and it's dynamic. It can be growing in our life or it can be thwarted. Now, we looked at grace plus theologies. We looked at how to deter determine them. Then last week, we looked at uh, attitudes and actions for appropriating greater grace. And we mostly focused on the first three, humility, honesty, and hunger, and then we ran out of time. So flip over, and we'll start right at the top of the second page today. We're going to look at the fact that the, the, there's delivery systems of God's grace. The, God's grace comes to us through three 
primary, primarily inextricably intertwined delivery systems. And I always use the metaphor of, a, of water coming out of your faucet. Almost all of us go to the faucet in modern culture. Most of us have running water in our apartments and houses and so forth, in our dorm rooms, whatever. And we go to the faucet and we turn on water, but we don't think much about how complex the delivery system was that brought it to us. But you could go back as far as the, uh, you know, the uh, sun evaporating water over the oceans and so forth and taking it over the continents. But let's just go back as far in the delivery system as some city had to harvest that from a creek, an underground stream, a lake, somewhere. Then in most cases, they cleaned it up some. About one-third of cities in the U.S. meet federal requirements for, for water quality. About two-thirds do not. <laughs> and so they cleaned it up, uh, maybe except to acceptable standards, maybe not. <laughs> and uh, that you can study in every city if you so desire. That's why I don't drink tap water. Um, so my water goes through uh, five or six carbon filters and then a reverse osmosis system and then has calcium and potassium added back in before I drink it. <laughs> uh, so you don't necessarily have to have that elaborate of a system. But uh, in any case, the city then pumps it to a water tower. And water works on the principle that it always seeks its own level. So if you take a U-shaped tube and you pour water in one side, it'll rise on both sides of the tube, right? And the reason water comes out of your spigot is because there's a network of pipes coming down from that water tower under the ground, through the ground, back into the basement of your house usually, uh, through your water meter. I can show you where the water meter is in this building. And uh, then it usually goes up, in most cases, through uh, pipes in the walls that are hidden, if you have a modern house. And uh, you, you don't see the pipes in the wall, but they're very much there, and hopefully they're not leaking. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully they're made of copper or PEX and, and not uh, any longer galvanized. But uh, <laughs> uh, And then you... Uh, you know, when you turn on the water, it's just taking advantage of the fact that that spigot is lower than the water tower. And all of that happens and may even go on for miles, but all that, that spigot has to be lower than a water tower. Likewise, God's grace comes always through Jesus Christ. It's always through both uh, scriptural knowledge of him and experiential spiritual experiences with him by the Holy Spirit, and uh, it comes to us through three inextricably intertwined systems, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And therefore, there really is a real Satan, and he really has satanic angels that oppose the purposes of God, and there really is another kind of creature called demons that oppose the purposes of God, and they seek to... <laughs> keep you away from experiencing the fullness of those three tools of grace. So not only do they keep you, for instance, in Scripture uh, from, trying, from reading the Word, maybe you're too busy, too distressed, too, too, uh, too many other goals, uh, so forth, too busy to, to know God's Word. Uh, but they also try to get you the wrong principles of interpreting God's Word they try to get you to underestimate the power of God's word uh, and the authority of God's word and so forth. The very first temptation to fallen man 
uh, or to man before we fell, was you know to Eve and then to Adam with indeed has God said. Satan first questioned what God said and the interpretation of it, and then the motives for why he said it. And nothing has changed in 5,000, 6,000 years of spiritual history. So we're going to look more at the Word today, uh, but we are also going to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Scripture, so Peter tells us, and we're going to look at this in weeks to come, but Peter tells us that uh, no matter of Scripture, no word of Scripture, was a matter of your own private interpretation. Boy, that's a corrective to our modern times. Because no uh, portion of Scripture was spoken by a matter of human initiative, but it was spoken when holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, the Holy Spirit of God is the proper interpreter of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit of God, there is a proper place for church leadership and church councils and so forth to help us know what Scripture means. And we've gotten into this private, individualistic, nobody tells me anything, uh, you know, way of interpreting Scripture. And it's amazing how many people have very strong opinions about what the Bible teaches who've not even read the whole Bible once, nor ever been educated in uh, how, to, how to interpret the Bible, the study of hermeneutics, uh, nor ever taken the Bible very seriously. Yet they know what the Bible teaches <laughs> about this and that and the other thing in very strong and dogmatic ways. And Peter actually calls that the untaught and the unstable distorting the scriptures uh, to their own end, to their own ends and their own destruction. We're actually meant to study the scriptures very thoroughly and very comprehensively and to be taught them by anointed people who are studied in the scriptures. And, we're, and uh, one of the ways you can know that uh, you're starting to understand scripture right is your, your life will become very stable. Marriage stable, finances stable, emotions stable, you know, vocation stable. God will bring stability into your character, into your life through the grace of God over time. I don't know about you, but I was less than stable when I came to Christ. Uh, you don't want to know. Some of you do know, but uh, at least you've heard. Most of you didn't know me at the time. Um. And of course, lastly, we'll, we'll be looking at the church. And so last week on the point H, the, the, this holistic thing, is that uh, you need all four of these H's going, and you need all three of these tools of grace going. So I have this little saying that I call the 4-H barometer. Humble people are always ruthlessly honest. It's amazing how many people can never admit their own sin or their own faults, and they and they, you know, like, they're always blame-shifting, excuse-making, and it's always someone else's fault. Like, I joke all the time about my, when my wife tells me I'm a blame-shifter, I always say, well, it's your fault. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, a little, our little humor. But, uh, very little. Um, so, humble people are ruthlessly honest. That is, they don't fear man. They're honest before God and before his people. They're desperately hungry and thirsty for righteousness, 
for more of experiential. And righteousness is always right relationship to God and his purpose in your life. And they're consistently enjoying all three parts of this holistic delivery system of grace. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to spend, I, don't, I hope not a lot of weeks, because I know people probably get tired of the fact that I harp on why we should study the Bible and how we should study the Bible, and, and we have literally hundreds and hundreds of messages on that. However, uh, as Jason once defended me uh, when someone was saying, why does Greg always talk about why we should study the Word? Jason said, well, when we don't need to hear it anymore, he'll stop talking about it. So I, I have reason to suspect, as the pastor of this church, that not everyone has become a thorough scholar of God's Word yet in this church. Um, I have reason to suspect that. <laughs> Sometimes it's from conversations that I, that I have with different people. So let's today I just want to focus on the Word of God, not in terms of hermeneutics and how to interpret it and so forth, but as much as is one particular way we need to interpret, we need to have faith that it's powerful, that it's alive, that it's effective. So I want to look at some scriptures that help us see that. First of all, Acts 20.32. So let's get the context of that. In Acts 20, Paul has been uh, foretold by the Holy Spirit, and it's included prophecies from a prophet named Agabus and uh, from Philip's daughters and, and so forth. But Paul has various ways of knowing that he's never going to see the Ephesian elders again. Sorry, I get emotional. Uh, and it would be like, I, I, you know, like those of us who've been in Christian community a while, you get such great relationships over time. Uh, you know, like you get emotional about your relationships. And it'd be like, if I was told... You know, I'm never going to see, and I could fill in about 30 people that are sitting in these pews again, I would just break down crying. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to see John Gray and Leah Gray at the zoo again. You know, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if I can deal with that. What's that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, as long as we don't become the exhibits. But <laughs> So uh, Paul is, has actually sent for the Ephesian elders. He didn't even have time to stop in Ephesus. He sent uh, people on ahead and said, get all the elders of the Ephesian church. I've got one last shot to lay some foundational things in these people that will carry this church for centuries. And the church in Ephesus was actually one of the sh uh, shortest churches in terms of the ones Paul planted that, that didn't last as long as some of the others. It only lasted about 600 years. Think of that when we think about how we go about building, uh, not just the material buildings of our church, but how we go about building people. You know, um, now, Paul pro probably didn't have any way of knowing that later the Apostle John would be the senior pastor at Ephesus for a while, and Timothy would be the senior pastor at uh, Ephesus for a while, and then the great Polycarp and others. But, um, but God preserved the church in Ephesus for, for almost 600 years, and the only thing that actually wiped it out. Remember in Revelation that Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus and says to return to your first love, 
or I'm going to remove your lampstand, which is a Bible symbol of the church. He's saying that this church isn't going to last. It's going to lose the anointing and it's going to die out if you don't return to your first love. Well, apparently they did. Because they lasted for six centuries. And the only thing that actually caused the Ephesian church to, to eventually die and go away is that uh, the harbor continued to silt over and fill up and so forth to where Ephesus was no longer a harbor city uh, because the harbor today, it's more, more than 100 miles away from the coast of the Mediterranean and it's not a port city at all. And Ephesus died out as a commercial city uh, over time. About the seventh century or so. So anyway, um, Paul is talking to these Ephesian elders, and he's, you know, I can't stress enough. He's telling them this is the most important thing. Like, okay, I've spent all this time discipling John Luke. This is my last talk with him. What am I going to tell him? And he says, now I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able... That's an important word. It's powerful. It's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And the Greek could be translated who are be being sanctified. Those who are in the process of sanctification. That will be a continuing process until you go to meet the Lord. One of uh, any pastor has this burden, and especially in our day and age. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Most people you meet are not living there. Their marriage doesn't exemplify that. Their vocation doesn't exemplify that. Their health doesn't exemplify that. Their priorities don't exemplify that, and so forth. Their, their uh, financial status, you go on and on and on. And I'm not a prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, and I don't have no doctrine, no doctrine. I don't know if that's, I ain't got no doctrine of, of, of no sanctification or of no, of, uh, no suffering. I, you know, I'm not saying that suffering is not part of the blessing of God. It really is. If God loves you, he's going to kill you. <laughs> and uh, you're going to bleed all over the place. <laughs> Just don't make too much of a mess. But, um, but the word of God is able to give you the inheritance, most of which people are not entering all the time in American Christianity. That's one of my greatest burdens, and I think any pastor who really loves the people of God wants to see people have you know, better relationship with God that works its way out into practical areas like better marriages, better skills at raising children, better vocational callings, etc. John 8, 31 through 34, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And then they go on to protest that they are sons of Abraham, and they've never been enslaved to anyone. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is slaves of sin. Now that's pretty radical. Like what, you know, what Jesus is saying, as a follower of Christ, you should not be a slave to sin. 
That's why the scripture even talks about the sins that so often entangle us. God wants whatever that is for you, fears, habits, fleshly habits, etc. God wants to set us free. And if you abide in his word, the word continue there is the Greek word meno, which is often translated abide, but it can be translated dwell in, live in. Hey, that's your state of where you live. Like, this is your address. Kind of like when uh, Joseph and Mary said to Jesus, like, why did you stay back in Jerusalem? Why did you do this? And he goes, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? You know, it's a, I called Bradbury the other day. and I, Hey, Bradbury, what are you doing? Don't you know I had to be seeking the Lord and spending time in his word? Like, you know, like, I'm, I'm continuing in his word. That's where I live. <laughs> you know. Uh, is that a way of life for us? Because, you know, reading the reverse negative, if we don't have that kind of relationship with the scripture then we are not truly disciples. Guess what that means? We're false disciples. Everyone says, oh, I'm a Christian. Really? Now, I'm not saying you need to read the word 24-7, but you need to have an ongoing relationship with it. The word of God is likened to food, for instance. Most of us, I'm pretty confident, and I know this church pretty well, most of us eat fairly regularly. (laughs) Some of us eat three, four, five, six, seven times a day. <laughs> and some of the single guys can really eat a lot, <laughs> you know. And uh, some of them can probably out to eat, eat more than me. Maybe not. But uh, I hope they can. But uh, you know, again, nobody here eats twenty four seven. What's that mean? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I've always had my goal that it says that when Joseph was uh, leading Potiphar's house that, that Potiphar concerned himself with nothing except the food he ate. I was like, give me that life, Lord. No. <laughs> Let's just work on getting the food better all the time. <laughs> uh, if any of you are culinary majors, if, I couldn't afford you. Uh, anyway, so... If you don't abide in his word, you're false disciples. Now, again, I don't know that that means 24-7, but I do think it means uh, quite often, all the time, regularly dwelling there. That's what the Greek word means. And you'll know, substitute, like sometimes we get things so religious that I, what I love to do, it's one reason I love to read lots of different translations, And I love to know, you know, I've always made a point of reading the different principles of each translation. So I know if I'm reading a literal equivalence or a dynamic equivalence or or a paraphrase, which I don't read very often, but occasionally. uh, Because I like kind of thinking about alternate words that make you engage the word again. I would really recommend that when you see the word, you'll know the truth, that you stop and think about truth. You'll know reality. We've kind of... uh, diminish truth in our, in, our, in our Christian culture today to the right doctrines, which are foundational to the right living and the right practice, but orthodoxy, right belief, and right worship must lead to right lifestyle, orthopraxy. 
And so the reality is the word of God will set your life free. And freedom from a biblical perspective is, is becoming the person you are always intended to be and becoming more effective and fruitful at it. Not using excuses, well, I'm a this and I'm a that. You know, people have all these, well, I'm the Myers-Briggs, this and that, and I'm the influencer, and I'm a, you know, you know what? I, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Whatever God's called you to do and be, there's grace to be it. Even if it's not your personality type or whatever. You know, when Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, I don't think Timothy was bent, he wasn't an evangelist by, by temperament. He was probably more pastoral. But nevertheless, can you do the work of an evangelist? Is that a normal thing for you? I honestly think you should get to a place in, in your Christian life where you always have somebody that you've got some Bible studies going on with that you're helping them become a disciple of Christ. Now, that, if that doesn't happen the first year, two, or three you're a Christian, that's probably okay as long as you're planning for that. There's no greater treasure in life than to be able to walk somebody through into reality in Christ. Through the gospel, through conversion, through becoming a disciple, through getting set free. Emotional healing, mental healing, deliverance, maturity, becoming who they're supposed to be in terms of their calling and their fruitfulness. Becoming part of a team and community of believers that has a way of life that's fruitful. And making important contributions to whatever, to the sweeping the parking lot, the music, the whatever it takes to, to help people grow in Christ. If you're truly the disciple of Christ, you'll know reality. And reality will make you become who God intended you to be. That's a pretty loose translation, but we'll call it the Brother Greg Heresy translation. No. <laughs> Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What do we talk about when we get together? Football. Do we, you know, do we talk about biblical studies? Do we talk about theology? A lot of us do. And I'm, I'm glad, I am so glad that I'm a part of a church that, that's, that I'm able to say yes to that. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Not, not, if you can only get five minutes a day. You'll meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to theorize about it. Oh, sorry. It's modern translation. So you can be careful to do it according to some of the things written in it, the ones that aren't too inconvenient. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. We want the prosperity and the success. We just don't want those intervening steps, right? <laughs> All right. Isaiah 55, 10, 11. I love this verse. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without uh, watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will I, my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. 
Isn't that something? Like if you're, you're sitting in your study and you're reading the word and God is showing you things and so forth, you're actually sowing seed into your heart. Your heart is the soil in the parable of the sower and the seed. You're sowing soil, seed into your soil. And one of the things that we've got to get delivered from is we have a very instantaneous culture. You know, and if those of you who were alive in the 50s and 60s probably remember instant coffee. What a horrible thing. Uh, <laughs> it was actually quite popular for a while. But we like, in, like, instant everything is terrible. Let's just face it. Has anybody ever had instant mashed potatoes? I mean, that's disgusting, right? <laughs> if, if you're going to have instant mashed potatoes, please don't invite me for dinner. <laughs> or instant coffee. Now, I like that our modern Keurigs can make it faster and all, but it's still the water has to heat up. It still has to brew. And it's still better if you let it sit for a couple minutes after it brews. There's no shortcuts. And so often, the Word of God is compared to sowing seed. And it takes a season to grow a crop. Don't get impatient with the process. You know, when you're memorizing scriptures and you're battling with an area and so forth, I've had areas that it's taken years for the Lord to bring about the deliverance. Keep working toward it. Keep sowing that seed. Memorize lots of scripture. Ask God to apply it with power to your spirit by the Holy Spirit in various situations and so forth. Thank God I don't have instant coffee. This is, uh, as anyone who knows me knows, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also constantly thank God Paul is speaking to the Thessalonian church after he had planted the church in Thessalonica. Years later, I don't know how, I'd have to get my, I'd have to look up how long the period is. But later, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now, something I constantly discipling people that I disciple on how to disciple <laughs> uh, about is when what, what you always want to work toward is having an ongoing Bible study with someone. You can, it's wonderful to have one talk with somebody, go for a walk, talk about some things. It's amazing if you can get some kind of ongoing thing going. And if you get some ongoing thing going, Always give them things to read each week. And always discuss the scriptures. But what you want to be sensitive to is this. Remember when the woman touched Jesus and he stopped and said, Who touched me because the power went out from me? And Peter said, Lord, what are you talking about? Oh, he loved Peter. Uh, you know, what's up with that, Jesus? He's modernizing you know, like, don't you know, like, everyone's bumping into you and everything. He goes, no, 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 but someone touched me because I was aware the power went out. And that's different than everyone bumping into me. Somebody, my father, by the Spirit, had given them faith in who I was. And so if you remember, she, when he confronts her, she says, 
I said in my heart that if I can only touch him, I shall be saved. And the Greek word there is, is, you know, soteria. I shall be delivered, healed, made whole. I shall be made free. I shall be made who I was meant to be. And, you know, that, that is actually what God wants our expectation of spending time in his word to be. Like if I can only touch, Jesus Christ is called the living word of God. And the early church understood that the written word of God came out of the living word of God. And if as I meditate on scripture, as I study biblical studies, as I study theology, it's not just so I can learn theological terms. They're only useful not for a head trip, but they're useful if they help me understand it more precisely more accurately and more powerfully. If I can touch the Lord Jesus, you know, as Mary sitting at his feet, you know, Jesus understood Mary's heart enough that he said, Mary has chosen the better part, which she's not going to let get taken away from her. So Jesus understood that Mary wasn't going to let that get robbed from her. Now, if you had a sister like Martha and Jesus was coming for dinner, you could easily get caught up in all the preparations and the tumult and the, and the stress. Some of us have enjoyed houses like that. <laughs> I, I use the word enjoyment. Uh, you know, so what Paul is saying is, when, when I was in Thessalonica, somehow the Lord gave these people faith that what I'm sharing is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the very word of the living God. It's the most important thing in the universe. Is that how we treat like going to Tuesday night Bible study or 930 Bible study or, or, or whatever? It's, is it the most important thing in the universe? Or do I work it in once in a while? Is it important enough to maybe make... Think ahead. I, I would encourage you, think ahead. Uh, if you don't have this, find a way to have a place that you can't get the word of God robbed from you. Where maybe you don't have a cell phone. And I, you know, for me, that's been different places over time. Sometimes I'm hiding. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite places, I've done that over the years is just to get one of those um, plastic things that you you could put on a treadmill, and then I just put it on the steering wheel of my car, not while I'm driving, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll go to like somewhere in a park and point the car toward the lake, you know, with the ducks and all, and put the Bible right there and turn off the cell phone. Now, sometimes I lose track of the time. I'm late for dinner. I'm late for appointments. I don't care. <laughs> You know, and hopefully that you, you start getting irresponsible in this sense. Uh, you know, I, I used to uh, drop off my kids at school, and uh, that was at, you know, 7, and then I would get to the Y downtown at 7.15, and I was supposed to work out at 9, and I would just read the word until 9. 
But often it would get to be, I'd started my workout at 10, 11. It's an advantage, of course, you have to own your own company to do this. But <laughs> 12, 1, you know, and, uh, and then I had the same problem with my workouts. I was supposed to work out for an hour and a half, then it got to be two hours and three hours. And, you know, my wife's saying, like, how come you don't get home to actually work on gym leasing until 3 or 4 in the afternoon? <laughs> well, you know what? That, I'd rather you had that kind of temptation. Wouldn't it be nice as a pastor if I had to take you aside and say, you know, you've got to stop reading the Word so much. <laughs> you're, you're late for work. <laughs> you know, uh, don't be late for work. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12, one of Stephen Leopold's favorite verses. For the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharp. When it says able to judge, the, the ESV says discern, uh, the New King James says a discerner of the thoughts and intentions heart. Do you realize you can't actually know your own heart and mind apart from Scripture? Do you know that you think you know your motives and your attitudes way more than you do? And in fact, one of the ways these three delivery systems of grace work is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and your brothers and sisters in the church will actually help you know who you really are. All, all single brothers know that the single brothers in their household will help them know who they really are. Everyone who's married knows your spouse will help you know who you really are. Hopefully you have friends that are more loyal than a brother, as the Psalms say. There is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Hopefully you have people who will speak truth to you, not just what you want to hear. You know that most people who avoid levels of community, they avoid it because they want to keep levels of darkness. You know, if you're avoiding the scripture, if you're avoiding community, if you're avoiding so forth, it's because you still want to be your own Lord and that the scripture is a threat to that. So are the brothers and sisters. More of the Holy Spirit means more reality. He's the spirit of truth. So as we look at these th tools of grace, the first way they operate is they help you come into reality and I'm let you in on a secret. Self-deception is a major theme of the New, Detestant, uh, New, New Testament because we all have it. And the journey into Christ is a journey out of self-deception. And most of us go just so far and we stop. I'm not going to put myself in this context that I could get this part challenged. That's why lots of times people actually seek a church that has less relationships so we can have less reality or that has less emphasis on Scripture. There's actually a doctrine in American Christianity that you're supposed to find a church that makes you comfortable. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus saying that? To Follow me and I'll really make you comfortable. <laughs> we'll work on the padding of the pews, the air conditioning, help you take some pain pills so you're... So your seat won't hurt. <laughs> you know, what, I, I'll get you uh, one of those foam mattresses. You know. Um, 
Jeremiah is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and hammer that shatters the rocks. Please read the whole context there on your own. I'm, I'm running out of time. Second thing I want to mention is just the whole idea of all Scripture. Now, most of us are well-versed in this, but I just want to always reiterate, the sum of his word is truth, and if you still have not been helped to get past this Americanized idea that we have our preconceived theology and then we have our proof text. I will often meet people that have been Christians one, two, and three years who've never read the whole Bible. That should not be the case. If you say you're a Bible-believing Christian, you really don't mean that if you haven't got plans to read the whole Bible on some regular pattern. Because Scripture interprets Scripture, and you can't know any of the Scripture apart from the whole Scripture. Now, there is a doctrine called the clarity of Scripture, and as you're reading Scripture, some things will be clear. But to really know Scripture, you need to read it in the backdrop of the whole Scripture. Some things come clear the first and second time you read it. Other things come clear as you continue to dwell in all of it. And learn how to look at major themes and to find Christ in all of it. Which is our next point, hurrying through, and maybe we'll do more with this, is that Christ himself is the central theme of all scripture. We, again, we talk on this a lot in our church. He's called the Word of God in both John 1, 1 John 1, and Revelation 19. All three of those, Jesus is called the Word of God. And again, in the first several seven centuries or so of the church, they understood that the, the Word of God is, Christ is the living Word of God from whom comes the written Word of God. And the point of the written Word of God is to encounter the Christ that's the living Word of God. So it's not just a matter of abstraction. It's a matter of concrete, tangible, powerful, life-changing spiritual experiences where he changes us from glory to glory. The more we touch his presence, the more we become like him. If you're struggling with something, uh, I'm all for counseling. We make all of our leaders study three major schools of biblical counseling that are out there and so forth. But the number one answer is get to know the Lord. That's the answer for everything. In Luke 24, we see those scriptures where Jesus tells us that uh, all, the, all the Old Testament is about him. In John 5, 39, which I have listed there but not printed out, Jesus said, is rebuking the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you're going to find eternal life, but these, the scriptures, bear witness of me. And there wasn't any New Testament scriptures written yet. So he's saying the Old Testament scriptures bear witness of Jesus. You know, I love that passage in, in Acts 8 where Philip gets translated from Samaria, beam me up, Scotty, Get, and uh, comes, comes down uh, next to the, uh, to the Ethiopian court official, and the guy's reading from Isaiah, and he, and he says, do you know what you're reading? First of all, I love the guy's response. Nobody would do this today. He goes, so how could I unless someone tells me? He's humble. 
Secondly, uh, beginning from that scripture, Philip preaches Jesus to him. Now, I have to admit, the Lord threw Philip an easy one. <laughs> you know, Isaiah 53, that's probably one of the easiest places to start preaching Christ from in the whole Old Testament. But uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when Cal Ripken broke the, the, the record for uh, most consecutive games played in a row, the, the pitcher pitched, you know, uh, pitched him up a nice fastball that he could hit out of the park easily, as they did uh, to Derek Jeter in his last All-Star game. They served him up a fat one so he could hit a homer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Lord served Philip up a nice one there. <laughs> but if, if you were brought into a situation where a person was reading Scripture, could you start in the Scripture they're reading and preach Christ to them? That's an interesting challenge, right? So I, I am out of time. You know we've spoken on that a lot. There's lots of podcasts. If you're unfamiliar with that subject, talk to John, talk to Andy, talk to Jason, talk to Anvesher, Deanna, Stephen, any, of, any guys on our leadership team. Uh, they can direct you to lots of podcasts we've done on this subject. There's uh, John Gray can help you with that, Leah, uh, Beth. So... There's a lot of uh, ways that you learn how to find Christ everywhere in Scripture, but it's very important that you get that foundation laid and that you read all of Scripture looking for Jesus in all of Scripture. Amen.